0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke. I'm here with my co host, Nick Sigalski, and today we have the one and only Mr. Will Allred, the one and only man behind Lavender. Nick, why should people listen?
1: This was one of those episodes that actually made me rethink a lot of my prospecting emails. It made me think about nixing the thoughts email as my second step in a sequence, and it also made me think about the tone. Of the email that i'm sending we spent a lot of time on the show talking about interspace ctas and personalization but will actually gave me some stuff that's going to change the way that i prospect so if you're looking for an advanced prospecting episode this is a good one. Three,
0: two, one. thoughts on this episode
1: today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by boomerang if you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's gonna take you more than two minutes anyway, so do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now, we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that
0: documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Six Sense. The link is in the show notes.
1: Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you wanna save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent, it'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead, you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demand Base, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.
0: Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman it's auto reminders for everything. If I expect And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. All right, Will, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable
2: takeaways. So let's get your three. Yeah, yeah. So number one, you're gonna wanna write your email with zero commas. So we analyze over 2 million emails every single month and over 70% of emails are just too complicated for your reader. And so when I talk about reading level, being at a 10th grade reading level, right, what that means is we're looking at the number of syllables across the sentences within your email. And one of the easiest ways to reduce that syllable count is to make your sentence structure more simple And one of the easiest ways to do that is to just remove commas from your writing. What we find is sales reps love to expound upon ideas and have run on thoughts. And so cut those commas from your writing and you'll find that you get from that 10th grade reading level down to a fifth grade, which is the ideal number, much faster. And just to put some numbers behind it, if you go from a 10th grade to a fifth grade, you're gonna see about 50% more replies. Number two. You want to mask your subject lines with internal camouflage. And what I mean by that is, you know, don't start off your email with like a first name variable, because what we find is that actually hurts your reply rates, your response rates. Instead, you want one, maybe three words max that really just describes what's inside the email. It should be really boring and honestly kind of bland, just a topic-based subject line. Number three is build a personalization process. We all know personalization works, right? But it shouldn't be this time-consuming thing that keeps you from doing it. You should know exactly what your top sources are for each persona. And you should know exactly what problem the information that you're going to find on those sources ties to when you're going to personalize an email. So, Will, one thing that was crazy to me is you're saying it's something like
0: 20% less likely to get an opener or reply if you have the subject line first name and their first name. And I use that for months and months on end. And so other than that one, are there other common subject line pitfalls
2: that people use that the data shows are extremely ineffective? So if I'm looking at subject lines... SalesLoft actually published that data around first name variables. And so what they found is when you put a first name variable in your subject line, you get 18% less responses. So if you send out five emails, you're going to get one less response out of those five. The other ones that we can point to within our data specifically are things like adjectives or superlatives or numbers, percents, multipliers. If you're saying like 2x the reply rates, well, our data is going to show that you're going to get 80% less opens as opposed to just saying the words reply rates. The other one, punctuations. Punctuations are an open rate disaster. And what it is, is like if you're yelling at your prospect like an exclamation point or asking a question, those questions aren't doing you any favors. In fact, they just scream, I'm trying to sell you. And so if you exclude say you have a subject line with a punctuation point so you're asking a question versus not asking a question the one without a question gets 56 percent more opens so will let's scroll back to adjectives in the subject line
0: because we went over it super quickly and what are some examples where you would use
2: adjectives in your subject line that would not be good so say i'm using the reply rates example right so if i say better reply rates, that's going to hurt your chance of getting that response and that open. It's because you on the other end, right, if I write an email that says better reply rates, you kind of just know out of the like gate that you're about to get pitched or sold to. And it's that better, higher, lower, it just feels like a marketing message. The other one that I didn't actually include was commands. So if you use like a verb to start, like maintain better response rates or improve X, Y, Z. Those things also tell your reader that it almost feels like marketing message. It feels like automation. It doesn't necessarily feel like somebody showing up to have a conversation with me.
0: So we know what not to do. So we're not saying improve email reply rates by X percent to get better, blah, 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 blah. Right. So what do we do instead? You
2: write like two words that speak to the subject of the message, right? If I'm looking at a subject line that says, will improve your response rates by two X, instead just reduce it down to its most simple like factors, which is reply rates. Or maybe I use template refresh, right? Maybe the original subject line was, will want to improve your templates. Just make it feel like an internal email. I wouldn't email anybody internally. Will, I want to improve your response rates. I would just say template refresh, because that ties back to a task item that I'm likely dealing with. And we think about how people are going through their inbox. Their inbox is essentially a to-do list. And so when your subject line doesn't feel like a to-do list item, it triggers to the person on the other end, then it's probably something that doesn't necessarily belong within their priorities.
1: Well, you're making me think about the personalized emails that I've been sending today. One of the things that I've learned is, okay, I should never be selling in the subject line, but I suspect that my sales emails today... The subject line still is triggering the, oh, this is a sales email, because what I've typically been doing in my personalization is, like, let's say I'm prospecting Armand. I'll look up Armand, and I'll find out, oh, he was a college wrestler, and he actually was a decent wrestler. And, okay, I'm going to make the subject line wrestling, and I'm going to tie the sport of wrestling to the problem that my thing solves. Maybe he's wrestling with his sales reps to get them to pick up the phone and make cold calls. And what it sounds like you're saying is because wrestling certainly doesn't sound like a to-do list item for Armand, even though it might get his attention, the second he sees that, like the sales trigger is up for him. Am I getting all of that right? Yes.
2: And so when I coach people on how to approach email writing subjects, etc., cetera, I actually stray away from the more personal type information. And it's not because it's not effective or, you know, interesting or catches their attention. It's because it's really hard to scale. You know, if I'm looking at somebody's hobbies and trying to personalize 20 plus emails a day, it's not going to be effective. I'm going to have to come up with like a Google spreadsheet of here's every possible hobby on the planet and how you could tie it back to what we do. And in reality, you know, where this person's at, where their mindset is, is they're in their to-do list, they're fighting fires all day, right? And so if I can just show up, say I understand your particular challenge, what's going on based off of some external clues, and try to have a conversation with you about that, that's gonna be much more effective in the long run.
1: Well, what's really fascinating about this is like, I'm a big fan of like, I wanna reduce the amount of brain power it takes for me to put out like really high quality stuff. And in that scenario that I just gave, like. You're right, it's really hard. It's easy to tie wrestling to something, but if Armand was a big golfer, I'm not going to be like, you must feel like beating your salespeople over the head with a golf club to get them to make... Cold. Like, it just, it's, it's too hard. It's a lot of mental processing. And so I can just switch that subject line to something that's about the second half of the segue, basically what I tied the personalization to. And then the cognitive power that I need to actually put together 20 personalized emails is far less, and... It doesn't trigger that, oh, shoot, this is a a sales email in the person's
0: brain. Even if you don't go all the way down to the level of, oh, Armand was a wrestler, Nick was a wrestling coach, whatever it might be, if you go back to what Will said all the way at the beginning of the episode, which is knowing your top three triggers, it's very, very, very easy to have some stock subject lines based on what you see For example, if one of the things you always look for is a company is growing in their employee count, you can have stock emails and then just swap out the numbers in your email where you can say, oh, it was 25% growth or 50% growth or 75% growth. But you can have stock problems that are attached to these stock things that you're looking for that feel personalized, but you're able to do these things at scale.
2: Yeah. And Armin, one of the things that you're hitting on is probably one of the biggest misconceptions about personalization which is personalization, we really capture this idea of like personal and we overemphasize on it. When in reality, when we should be talking about personalization is it's really just having a valid reason for showing up and interrupting them within their to-do list. And so my favorite framework, the way that I like to show up is one, create some context, but two, tie that context for how I got there back to a problem immediately so that they know this is going to be a relevant conversation. And so for each persona, it's a byproduct of going through and understanding what problems you solve for them, what the external triggers are that showcase that they might have those problems, and then building a process around finding that information. That's how you, quote, scale personalization. It's not you know, some magic recipe. It's literally just, you have these problems, we can solve those problems.
1: So on the point of like the personalization, one of the things that you put in the prep doc is, it's really hard, if not impossible, to book a sales meeting if your email doesn't even get opened. And there's two things that impact the email open. It's the subject line and then the preview text, because those are the things that the person sees before opening said email. And it sounds to me like you've got some ideas around like, what you do preview text-wise, maybe tied to personalization. And I'm, I'm sort of curious, like, what is the best practice as it relates to what it should be putting in those first 70 or so characters that the person sees before the email gets opened?
2: Yes. So my point on open rates, right? So your open rates are dependent on two main things. One is the subject line. And so you're masking it with this internal camouflage so that you keep their guard down and they just sort of glance over it and they say, yes, that's a topic that is top of mind for me. And then they see the preview text. And what the preview text needs to say is, Armin, this email is for you specifically. And the way to approach that is to start with an observation. I think Josh Braun refers to it as an observable truth, right? It's just a fact. What it does, it's the same thing as though I pick up the phone and I call you. If I don't say, hey, this is Will at Lavender, right? You're going to wonder the entire time I'm talking at you, who is this, right? And so what I do within an email context is I start with, here's the information I found and where I found it, right? I saw on your LinkedIn that the company is growing X percent this quarter. It just, it sets the stage for them to absorb whatever it is that you're going to say after. The next thing you do is you start to tie that to a challenge or a problem that they have. That is how ineffective Cold email should start how it should be written because the person is going to see the subject line. It's going to tell them what the email is basically about. And then they're going to see the preview text and they're going to say, oh, this email was actually written for me. I'm curious about how you
1: describe the problem because I've seen it done in all sorts of different ways. I've seen like the billboard where it's like VPs of sales absolutely and utterly hate asking their sales reps to put information in the CRM. And I've also seen people be like, way too meek about it. And then I've also seen people not even talk about the problem and just say, we increase open rates 98%. Where do I describe the problem and how?
2: Yeah, so the problem comes right after the observation, which you're basically just outlining your logic for how you got there. And so it'd be like, hey, I saw your starting to scale up the team after your Series A round. And so I I start the email with, Nick, I saw that you're starting to grow the team in a major way. With that growth, typically what we see is that your outreach setup becomes a bit of a black box. And so I'm starting to describe the problem in a way that they would describe it, but I'm also not being overly assumptive. One of the most surprising data points that we have is unsure tones are much more effective than assured or informative tones. I see a lot of sales reps want to educate their buyer. And this education comes across as an informative tone in our data set. And there is a direct negative correlation. If you are informative, you are actually hurting your chance of being responded to. And it's because nobody wants to be talked at. And when you think about being on the phone with somebody and those unsure tones and why they're effective, well, think about this. Like if I'm on the phone with you, there's a bit of a social pressure of me talking to you in that moment. Whereas if I'm emailing you, it's basically my message on demand, right? And so I'm not there. There's no social pressure involved. And so they can opt out whenever they want. And so if you use these unsure tones, it keeps them engaged longer. And Because they're engaged longer, there's a higher chance that they're going to understand and thusly respond to your message. And so one of the easiest ways to create uncertainty in your writing is to use what we call hedge words. Things like typically, usually, you might find, this may be. And what that does is it it just keeps your reader engaged. It keeps them interested in what you have to say because they think about their problem all day long and you've thought about it for probably five minutes and to show up and act like you know everything about their business doesn't do you any favors. This
0: is a a key distinction because we talk a lot about subject lines and tailoring and then problems and then low friction CTAs but you can still have all those things and when the email is just written sort of weird It just doesn't land, and so what you're describing is what a lot of people call a news headline, is they'll say things like, CFOs hate accounting, or CFOs hate journal entries, and it's like, I'm telling you this fact, versus if you just soften it by saying, look, typically when I'm talking to CFOs at other companies, they usually don't love doing things like X, Y, Z, right? It's usually my experience, it's not always the experience, versus the newsletter headline, Are there other things beyond having an informative tone
2: that people should be avoiding as it pertains to tone of the email? Another interesting data point that your readers might not think about too often, you kind of hit on it with low friction CTAs. We see when you ask more than one question in an email, your response rates start to tank. You can actually write an email with zero questions and get just about as many responses as you can with one question. Now, two zero performs way better than two. And so one of the main questions you're probably thinking right now is how do you write a CTA with zero questions? Well, you use unsure tones. You say, if that's interesting, let's connect. You're basically laying out a problem. And so if it invites response, they're going to respond to you. There's an assumption that you want a response.
1: You know, you said something really interesting earlier about the longer you can get them, To stay on the email, the higher chance they have of actually understanding what it is you do and the problem that you solve. And I wanna talk about that in the context of email, but I also wanna say in the context of all of sales, like in your entire, once you get somebody in a sales cycle, oftentimes sales are won and lost, not because of, starvation meaning the prospect doesn't have enough information given to them about your thing but because of indigestion meaning you give them so much stuff or the stuff that you do give them they don't actually understand in order to win a sale the customer actually has to understand the information that you're presenting to them and so when you do things like after a first meeting with a customer, send them 15 case studies of a bunch of irrelevant customers and then expect them to go through them and actually understand and connect how those case studies relate to the problem you solve. Like, it doesn't get the job done. Your job as a salesperson is to do the digestion and the understanding of all of the ways that you know you can help them for them. Otherwise, they get overwhelmed and actually resist on stuff. Um, And so I'm curious to hear from you Are there any other strategies that I could incorporate into my my emails to help the person spend more time on them and understand them
2: more easily? It's an interesting way you phrase that question. How can I get them to spend more time with me? Well, one of the easiest ways to get them to spend, I guess, a higher percentage of the required time is to just shorten your email. So what we see in our data is that if you write an email between 25 and 50 words, Your chance of getting a response is like leaps and bounds more likely than if you write 100 words or 125. And what does that really mean is you have to find the things to cut. And so if you're looking for what to cut out of your email and you're like, well, I've got this context on how I got here. I've got this problem that they're likely having. And now I want to talk about how we can solve that problem. That's the area to start cutting from. It's the stuff about you that they do not care about and they're not in the context to start absorbing. One of the main things I see sales reps wanting to do is give their prospect more information so that they can make an informed decision. And this kind of ties back to those informative tones. We want to give them information so that they know what they need in order to make a choice. And they're not making a choice. They're not in that mindset What we forget is our job as sellers is not to inform, but to build curiosity when we're prospecting. And that starts with understanding their scenario. And it stops well before you're giving them that extra detail about what you do and how you do it. So the most I'll ever say about lavender in a cold email is maybe I'll use a customer to tell some of my story, right? Like we helped the team at SindoSo, 4x their positive response rate within 30 days But what we provide, well, it's a Chrome extension that helps it, makes it easier for sales reps to write emails faster. It's super quick, super simple. You should be able to explain what they get concretely within six seconds. So Will,
0: I'm curious. You're not describing a ton in this first email. And naturally, that first email is usually the longest ones. What typically comes in the second,
2: third, or fourth emails after the first? So you probably in your brain, have some prospects that are top of mind, some deals that you're working on that you're like, I can't wait to break into this account. And you think about them and you're strategizing on how you're going to get a hold of them. Well, one of the things that we forget is they don't think about you at all. And it sucks to hear. But when we write emails, we can't forget that. We can't forget to drop the context in why we showed up. So one of the things that I'm adamant about is reusing that original personalization that you spend all that time and energy and effort figuring out. You know, it's interesting. Gong's published data around follow-up emails specifically, where they've put this information out there that your follow-up needs to be longer. About four sentences gets 15 times more meetings booked. And it's pretty simple as to why. Because if I'm following up with just thoughts, question marks, or any feedback on my note, Nick, to your point, I'm not doing any of the digestion for my reader. Instead, I'm asking them to do it. I'm adding friction to the process. And so if I add that context for how I got there in the first place, like, and just rephrase it in a different way, right? Looks like you're growing quickly. Usually we see that has to do, it creates issues within your outreach analytics. Curious, do you have any feedback on my last note? What I'm doing there is I'm reminding them why I'm there, like again, showcasing in their inbox that I did my homework, and setting up that prompt to go check out something else that I've sent them in a more thoughtful way. So regardless of what number follow-up it is, you have to remind them of the context in which you got there in the first place.
0: Yeah, one thing that I've seen really successful is, any thoughts? Parentheses by the way, I saw XYZ, just a quick note that shows you're not using the same thoughts as every single other person in the world shows that you tailored two emails, even though it probably only took a half second to add that PS in the second email.
2: Yeah, and and what you're getting at is really trying to avoid pattern matching. One of the things that sellers need to realize is that people don't read email for comprehension. They're not reading it like a white paper or a book they're reading it strictly for categorization and one of those categorizations that they're trying to make is is this a sales email yes or no and it's a it's a categorization you don't really want to fall into
1: Will, this has been phenomenal. You've given me a ton of thoughts on stuff that I actually should be changing and adjusting in my sales email, and we're running out of time, so we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this. We've talked about a ton of really good things salespeople should be doing. Now let's talk about a shouldn't. So my last question is, what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it
2: helps? Talking about themselves too much, it's an easy one for me to come back to. If you're thinking about the context in which they're trying to absorb information, it's not your frame of reference, it's theirs. And so refocusing everything within your email to talk about them, their situation, their problems, that is something that I wish I could just put a sticky note on everyone who's in sales computer and be like, before you hit send, is this framed around them, their problems, and what's going on in their day to day? Beautiful.
1: Well, if you wish you could have a sticky note or Will sitting next to you while you were writing your sales email, he's too bashful to do it, but I'm going to promote Lavender for you. It's a really, really great way. If you want to write better sales emails, check it out. Will, we really appreciate you joining us on 30 Minutes to President's Club, and everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Cheers.
0: Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there, in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration
1: cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers
0: No first name, first name in the subject lines, and also no commands in the subject line. Number two, when you're thinking about tone in your emails, that tone should not be informative. You should be using unsure tones instead. Number three... Never ask more than one question in an email. Your reply rates will go through the floor. And then lastly, number four is a lot of people talk about under 125 words, but if you can somehow get it under 50 words, that email has a radically higher chance of getting replied to. Nick, how can people help us out here? Well, there's
1: one place where I do not want you to use an unsure tone, and that is when you are writing a review of 30 Minutes to President's Club. If you would be so kind as to go onto your favorite podcast platform, I like Apple Podcasts, go on, write some nice words about me on Armand, and it would warm my heart and give me something to do on those lonely weekend evenings. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.
0: This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Six Sense. The link is in the show notes.
1: Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead, you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with demand base, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.